So when I was a junior in college, I had the opportunity to travel to England to study uh, for a semester, and I was enthralled with uh, British culture, uh, at least what I perceived of it, and I loved British language accents and British literature and all kinds of stuff. So I was super excited to be able to go and study there and travel around and see all the places. Um, and so when we arrived uh, at our school, no one really knew that we were coming because uh, the person who, the faculty member who had been assigned to our care uh, had been traveling over the summer and had a medical issue or something and was stuck in Russia and I'm old, so this was before email, and communication was tough. And, uh, and so they'd, our university just kind of assigned another faculty member and said, there's Americans on the campus. Can you just, here's the schedule that we could find that they were supposed to do. Can you just make it happen? And I think part of that experience of just kind of <laughs> being the unexpected guest uh, put us in a tailspin for a little bit. And for about the first month, most of us from America just kind of hung out with each other. And we went and toured places and got lots of pictures. But we spent all this time just whining and complaining about how different life was in England than it was in America and how our university didn't do things the way our American universities did them. And then the light bulb went off and said, oh, that's right, we're here because it's supposed to be different. And so then we kind of leaned into it for the last two months and uh, hung out with other international students and got to know Brits and uh, just kind of lived in the culture and celebrated rugby games and all that kind of stuff. And it was much more meaningful and enjoyable. Um, but even though I was really excited to go to England, it was still hard to be in this unfamiliar place. And it was less familiar than, you know, you think, oh, I at least picked a country where they speak the same language. And then you find out how different it is and how differently they use it. Um, so even though I was really excited to go there, looking forward to it, it was still hard. And my attention easily went to, oh, this isn't like home. Um, the psalm that we're going to look at today is Psalm 137. You can turn to it, but the words will be on the screen as we go through it. Um, You'll know why I'm laughing in a little while. Uh, but you can turn to it if you'd like. Psalm 137 is a psalm that laments being in exile. So we know that it's hard to be away from home sometimes. Um, but the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, is writing, describing a, this horrible experience as... The nation and empire of Babylon came in in 586 B.C. and overthrew Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. And I'm just going to try to skip a couple of slides and we'll get back to the verses. But there we go. All right. So the yellow is the highlighted region of the nation, the empire of Babylon. So you can see it was pretty large. It stretches from Egypt to Iran uh, and into Turkey and uh, all kinds of, it takes up a lot of space. So in, uh, earlier, uh, 
over 100 years earlier, the northern kingdom, Israel, had been conquered by Assyria. But in the meantime, Babylon had taken over Assyria and stretched the boundaries even further. And then in 586 BC, Babylon came in and attacked Jerusalem, and Jerusalem fell. And the people were taken uh, away from their home into this new place. So while it's hard for us to be away from home sometimes, this was a horrifying, terrible experience. And especially so for the people of Israel whose homeland was a symbol that they were with God and they were chosen by God to be his people. And so being separated from that was heart-wrenching, scary, and super sad. And so this psalm is written in light of that experience. And we look at it because the New Testament describes us as the people of God, as Christ followers, the church, as exiles in the place that we live. And so while our experience here isn't quite as heart-wrenching as being pulled from the place that we're supposed to be, being made to live somewhere else and survive in a different culture that doesn't necessarily like us. There are some similarities that we want to learn and some things that we can learn about what it means to live as exiles, as aliens in this place when our home is with God in heaven. So, Psalm 137, we're going to look at the first four verses. We're going to take it in three sections here. Uh, So the first four verses is where we'll start. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem in our home. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for, us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord well, in a foreign land? And so that really is our first point, our first question. How can we praise God in this place? And so when we recognize that we are living as exiles, that we're aliens, that this place is not where we're going to end up, it's not what we were made for, and we look around us and we see all these things that cause us to lament, right? We see decisions being made in our, and by our government sometimes, we, we see uh, just patterns in culture that grieve us, that we think, oh, life is changing so much, and it's going so far away from what God intended for us. It can be hard, uh, sad, frustrating, disappointing, discouraging. It can be all those things. And we can say, oh, like, How do we praise the Lord? What does it mean to live by faith in this place that doesn't seem to fit us well? So I assume, I imagine, I I don't know for sure, that this psalm was written by somebody who actually had the experience of being wrenched from Jerusalem and transplanted to Babylon. And so the people, the, the kids who grew up in Babylon... Uh, probably didn't have the same, kind, the same level of sadness. They heard the stories and knew that they were supposed to be somewhere else, but they hadn't experienced it. And so in a lot of ways, 
our situation as exiles, as aliens in this place, is kind of similar to those future generations of exiles in Babylon. That they grew up, and it feels familiar. This is what they've always known. And yet, they're told that the things that are true of them as a people, that their identity is centered somewhere else. And that's what it's like for us. So our question, how can we praise God in this place, also relates to what does it mean to live by faith in this place? How are we called to be God's people in a place that doesn't always seem to like us that much or fit us very comfortably? As we look to even God's instructions to the people of Judah as they were preparing uh, for exile, in Jeremiah 29, uh, and maybe even experiencing it at this point, but in Jeremiah 29, God speaks to the people and says, as you experience exile, as you get pulled away from your homeland and put in this new place, God says, live your lives. Get married, have kids, give your kids away in marriage, find jobs, do, find purposeful work and, and do good things. Live your lives in the place that I'm planting you, in the place that, I'm, that you'll be moved to. Make the most of it. God even told them in all the, and we'll see how striking this is in a bit, but with all the pain, all the sadness, all the destruction they saw, uh, because Babylon is known as kind of a vicious empire. They didn't just come and say, oh, we're going to move you over here, but it's going to be really nice. We found you a good house. No, they came in and they destroyed things. They burned the temple and they took people from their homes and they annihilated people to inflict and incite fear in them so that when they brought them to their homeland, people would know their place. So it was a terrifying experience to watch this happen. And now I lost where I started that paragraph um, in my head. But uh, so it was this heart-wrenching and horrifying experience. For us, most of the time, we don't experience it quite at that level, though sometimes we do face evil that's that devastating. The question is, how... So, but even in that sense, God instructed his people to actually pursue prosperity, to pray for that Babylon would prosper, that it, good things would happen for their captors, because God said, when Babylon prospers, it'll be good for you too. And so even as these people were wrenched from their homes and put in this different place that felt awful, God said, find a way to make a home there, knowing it's not your true home. Live your lives and pray that good things would happen there. And I think that instruction from God to his people in history is really helpful for us as well. This place is not designed to be perfect for us, but it's the place where God has planted us. He's put us here, and there's a reason for us to be here. We don't get to control what the culture does. We don't have that much power. But we have influence over people 
we have relationships that we can encourage people and we can ask them questions and we can speak truth. And so God says to us what he said to his people in history. and says, as you live as exiles in this place, aliens, strangers in this place, make your lives there. Grow up, invest in each other, get married, have families, train your kids up in the way they should go and release them to their purposeful lives too. And pray that good things would happen because if the place you live prospers, it will be good for you. And when it's good for you, it's good for the gospel. And so God invites us in this place where sometimes we're just kind of mildly like, what's going on? And other times we're like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. How could it be this way? Why would anyone have to suffer this way? Um, and sometimes it's really pointed experiences that we have, and sometimes it's a, a season where we just think, well, I feel more in exile now because of just, you know, um, living as a widow or living, uh, you know, I had this forced job change or whatever it is. The circumstances of our lives can help that feel more true that we live in a place that doesn't fit us well. But God has put us here, and he has not left us alone. He's made promises to us, and he's promised to be with us. Jesus, in, in fact, said he would be with us always to the very end of the age. And so we're not here alone, and we're not abandoned by God. We're just in an uncomfortable place. And so we can praise God because he is good and mighty and just and gracious and dependable and present. And so we can live our lives, give ourselves to them, but we want to hold that in proper perspective as well, which is what the next section kind of talks about. In verses 5 and 6 of the psalm, the psalmist writes, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So what the psalmist is saying, basically, is that if I become so accustomed to life in Babylon that I forget where I'm from, that I lose track of my identity as a child of God, then what is my life? What's the purpose of my life? Like, then I should just fade into nothing. And so uh, the psalmist says, if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget where I'm from, if I forget my identity, may my right hand forget its skill and just like be incapable of doing anything. May my tongue be stuck to the roof of my mouth so that I, I can't even speak because what would be the point? If I don't speak as a child of God, as someone chosen by God, then what would be the point? I don't want to lose my, the sense of my identity in this new place. And so, similarly, we cry out to the Lord and say, don't let me forget my true home, my true identity. We live in a place that is not based on biblical values. 
We live in a place where there's competition and people put each other down all the time, and we're, we're called to encourage one another and build one, one another up and point each other to Jesus. And our culture, kind of like uh, the culture I created when I first got to England with these Americans, we just kind of looked at the ground and lamented all the things that weren't quite the way we hoped they would be. And if we get too used, too used to the way the world works and start to think too worldly about things and give ourselves to that kind of thinking and behaving, then our identity as God's people starts to fade. And we don't want that to happen. We want to be rooted and grounded in the fact that while we are called to live here at this time, we live here as God's people that he loves us and rescued us, and we belong to him, and that he is preparing a place where we will be free from all the discouragement, all the pain, all the suffering, all the death, all the sadness and sorrow, and we will be rightly with him the way he always designed it to be. And so we live in this difficult space with this certain hope. And that guards us. It's very much like what we just sang in the song Highlands. You know, that, that we would live in this place with our feet, uh, that God would be the summit where our feet are. That we would find ourselves in him and know that we are secure in this place, even though it almost never feels like that's true. We live in a place of scarcity, competition, where it feels like we always have to fight for what we want or what we need. Even though we know that God is our provider and we can trust ourselves to him at all times. But Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. And one day, you will, I will come back to bring you where I am so that we can be there together. And so we live in this limbo place as exiles in this place that doesn't quite fit us as still God's people, knowing that we are rescued by him, loved by him, and that he is with us and preparing something better for us. And when we're fixed on that truth and the core of our identity as his people, we can endure the difficulties of living as exiles in a place that doesn't fit us as well. So the last section of the psalm, these last few verses, I was wrestling with whether I should read them out loud or not, but I've decided I'm going to read them uh, because it's in God's word. So, but I just need you to know if you're watching the news right now, they would say, what you're about to hear is graphic, and just prepare yourselves for it. Guard yourselves. So the first couple verses are okay, but it ends on a pretty dramatic note. If you've got your Bibles open, you've, you've seen it already. The psalmist, okay, so I'm just going to preface it. Remember, the psalmist is lamenting this experience of being wrenched from their home, from seeing the temple burned, uh, 
Scripture in 2 Kings describes for us that the king Zedekiah at the time, uh, the Babylonians came in and killed his sons right in front of him and then blinded him so that it would be the last image he had. So it was a violent and horrifying time. And so in these last verses, the psalmist is trying to process all of this with God and try to figure out how to make it right. Okay? So the psalmist says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Oh, there's... I'm doing all kinds of crazy things. All right. Uh, believe it or not, this is much better than the first service was. Uh, it's like my first day here. Um, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Okay, so we're... Uh, oh. It really is trying to hide that. See, it's just so dark and despairing. And we needed that little chuckle. Um... So the psalmist says, Lord, remember what the Edomites did. They're our cousins. And yet, they, they just called out for our destruction. They were, they were party to the destruction that the Babylonians brought. It's one thing for these strangers to come from across the world and do this to us. But our cousins, our neighbors did this. They, they were cheering them on. So repay them. And then the psalmist thinks about what the Babylonians did and just cries out and says, Lord, make them hurt the way we've hurt. Make this right. Because I know that you're going to destroy them someday. They will face judgment too. And I know you're going to return us because you said you would to our homeland But someday, make this right. Make them feel how awful this has been for us. And as we reflect on that, you'll notice that the way I've characterized this with the New Testament perspective doesn't feel at all like those verses feel. Um, But it's important. One of the reasons that I, I thought it was important for us to actually read those verses out loud is because it's important for us to know that even embedded in God's word are some harsh words of raw emotion that God gives us permission to come to him when our emotions are raw and not fully processed and we haven't figured out exactly what we're supposed to say or think or feel and we haven't applied all his truth before we express ourselves in a way that we know we would get an A on the paper if we submitted it to him. But he invites us to come in just as we are and say what's on our hearts and be honest with him, and he can handle it. And so if you're in a situation where you're seeing evil in your lives and you're despairing over something that's happening for you or a loved one, know that God can handle your raw emotions as you go before him and process it and say, make this right.
it's also important for us to be reminded that God is the righteous judge. And Scripture tells us that He is at work to redeem as many people as possible. That He's told us He wants no one to perish, but to everyone, that everyone would come to repentance and faith by trusting in Jesus. That we'd be set free from the evil in our own lives and be made righteous like Jesus and become His children. But, He's also told us that the road to destruction is wide and many find it. They even kind of just joke and enjoy themselves on the journey. But the road to life is narrow and few find it. And so he warns us and he wants us to know the truth. Those who choose the way of Babylon, the way of the world, and reject God turn from him and make this the world their whole lives their whole desire they're on a path of destruction and the only way out of that destruction because we're all on that path is to turn to Jesus and as we see Jesus on the cross we see that God is able capable of perfectly handing out wrath and grace at the same time in a way that we're not capable of. I don't know, maybe you're better at it than I am, but I'm either angry or I'm gracious. And I'm rarely both at the same time. But God in his holiness is just and gracious all at the same time for everyone always. He's continuing to pursue us even as our hearts are hardened. He wants to melt our hearts of stone so that we would become his children. And on the cross, we see God himself, Jesus, the Son of God, totally loved by the Father. And yet, God cast out his wrath to punish the sins of us that Jesus didn't deserve. Our sins didn't belong to him, but he took them on himself that we could be set free. And so at the cross, we see the wrath of God and the grace of God perfectly united at the same time to offer us freedom, but to destroy evil and bring justice. And so as we read this psalm and we recognize our places, exiles and aliens, strangers in this place, we live in a place that doesn't fit us and doesn't line up with all these biblical principles or the heart of our faith. It doesn't encourage us to love God and to love people. It encourages us to care about ourselves, look out for number one, and trample people along the way. But God has placed us here and called us to live as his people in this place. That he would shine his light in and through us. And we endure this life here in this broken place by remembering our identity and anchoring ourselves in the promises and work of God that Jesus came to rescue us. And God loves us completely and we are his. We belong to him. He's with us and he will bring us through this and bring us safely into his kingdom. And as we face evil 
and disappointment and frustration, we call out to him and we say, praise God for you are our protector and our redeemer. Because in those moments when we're focused on our wounds, we can see the horror of the people who've done that to us. We can see the wickedness in them, but we often forget the wickedness in ourselves that Jesus died to pay, to cover, to release us from. And so when we're focused, like the psalmist is, on what has been done to us, Lord, remember what this person did. Remember this wrong. Remember this was not supposed to happen to me. Then our thinking kind of spills down this path toward revenge, where the only way we can imagine God making it right is to make them hurt too. But when we turn our attention to God, lock eyes with the one who saves us, doesn't really make the wound feel less painful, certainly not immediately, most of the time. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, then we become, then we're put on a path toward release rather than revenge. When we focus on the wound, all we can imagine is making that person hurt too. But when we focus on God who rescues us, then we can trust him to do the right and good thing in the lives of the people who are around us, whether we understand it or not. And we find peace knowing that God is our protector, he's our redeemer, and we can trust him always to do the right and good and just thing. So we live as exiles in the lives that God has called us to, anchored in our identity as people loved by God and rescued through Jesus. And then as we endure the trials and tribulations of living in this broken place in this time, we entrust ourselves and all our circumstances to the Lord and release them to him because he'll know exactly how to care for us and how to make all things right because he's working already to make all things new. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we thank you that your word includes psalms we don't love. That you've provided for us words of worship that are heart-wrenching and hard because you know that we live through stuff like that. So we pray that you would, we just ask that you'd hear our prayer today. Some of us, our hearts are broken and raw over what's just happened to us or what we're, we're remembering right now. And we pray that you'd move in and minister to us. We thank you that this is not our home that there's a better place with you in glory. You're already preparing our place there with you. So we pray that you grow our faith and help us to receive all that you have, that you would sustain us and guard us in our identity as yours. 
And Lord, as we endure these circumstances, the battles and the challenges in this broken world, we just turn those things over to you. Lord, sometimes our grip is tight and it's hard to release them. We've got muscle memory and we just feel like we need to hang on in order to make sure it's done right. We pray that you'd help us see you face to face and know as we look our Redeemer in the eye that you will give us the strength to let go and trust you to be God because you're the only one who can do that job. So Lord, lead us. Thank you for loving us. Make this true for us in Jesus' name.